Thank you, worship team, and thank you, church, for singing some great songs this morning. Um, lots to be thankful for. I don't know which way I'm turning here. There we go. Um, uh, a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about just before we get rolling here. This afternoon is Adventure Club. Uh, tonight is College Group. Tomorrow is a Christian Man's uh, Study and the Christian Women, where we're going through godly disciplines. Uh, disciplines of a godly woman, disciplines of a godly man. Um, there's home groups this week. There's home groups this week. Women's ministry meets on Wednesday. Uh, high school group meets on Wednesday night. Thursday, uh, there's the middle school group. Friday, I don't know what's going on Friday. Uh, but did, did, you, did you see that right there, what I did right there? Um, some of you are lonely you're depressed. Some, some of you are, are, I would even say this, forgive me, I, I don't ever do this, but some of you are listening online or watching online and you're saying, man, I feel depressed. I'm too depressed to go to church. Actually, you're too depressed not to go to church. Uh, you're too lonely not to go to church. Um, maybe, maybe you're anxious. You're too anxious not to, like, like to be with God's people. Um, you, you know, some of you do this thing where if someone says, oh, I'm not feeling well, you, you go into mama mode and you say, well, have you, have you gone to the doctor? And say, no, it's not that bad yet. And I, I want to tell you, uh, have you gone to the Lord yet? Have you gone to the Lord yet with the problems that you're struggling with? And if you're struggling... You should find a place every night, every day, right? You should be listening. Like, this is something, it needs more. And th this is why we have these things. And so I just want to encourage you about that. Find your spot. Find your spot. Find your spots, if you will, of learning and serving, okay? Um, how, do we, how do we come to the Lord for salvation? What do we bring? Here, here, God, can you use this to save my worthless soul? What, what can you bring? What can you bring? So, some of you are struggling. You, you thought, well, there's got to be an answer. And then you go, oh, it's the trick question. I've been around church long enough. That's the trick question. Pastors do that all the time. They do the trick question. Um, so I think about uh, my life and... I remember going to Hollister Elementary School, first grade, when they first start really doing recess. And I, re I remember at recess, uh, some of the kids were showing me that you could play kickball out on, and they, they had a little backstop. You guys remember those backstops? They looked like little fences, you know, three, three portions of it. And you, you say, well, you choose teams. You choose teams, and you get on the backstop and the two captains, they say, I want you, I want you, I want you. And then some of you are getting nervous already, just me reminding you, because you were towards the end, towards the end, the last two. I was never the last two uh, because I was so athletic. That's not right for you guys to laugh at a time like this. That wasn't a, no, I, I wasn't very athletic, but you could guess I was big. I was big. And so uh, stuff like that, I was kind of a middle pick somewhere in there. But um, there's, there's that thing at the end of the picking, and some of you know it well. You say, oh, 
if I have to take, I guess, I'll, I guess I have to take you because you're the only one left. Uh, I, I want to tell you that it, salvation is even worse than that, <laughs> worse than that, because God didn't have to take any of us. He didn't have to take any of us, but we had nothing to add. We were beggars. He said, what do you have? I have nothing. I have nothing to give. And, and he saved our soul on the basis of Christ's work on the cross. That's how you come to faith in Jesus. It's not bringing anything. It's not bringing anything. It's, it, it's bringing negative, right? What's the negative? It's bringing our sins, right? This is the mess that I have made of my life. Would you save me by your grace? Would you save me by your grace? We come as beggars. And then, after we come to faith, we live as self-sufficient, try-hard people. And we accomplish what God wants us to do on our own merit. I'll just leave that right there. Turn in the Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Um, I know that sounded wrong to you. Uh, I know that uh, the Holy Spirit working in you uh, said, eh, I don't exactly know everything that's wrong about that, but that didn't sound right. That did not sound right. The reason it didn't sound right is because it isn't right. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from Galatians chapter 3, the first nine verses. And God's word says this. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Uh, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know this, uh, know, know then that that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foresees that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed among, uh, along with Abraham, the man of faith. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask that you would protect us from error we ask that you would protect us from fleshly try hard, but rather that we would live lives of faith by the Spirit, your Spirit, which you have given us. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's great to have all of you here today. Um, and I trust that God has brought you here this day. Those of you who have come. You say, well, I come every week. Well, God's brought you here, right? That you might know. And if you're traveling, if you're visiting, uh, for you as well. 
we start with work, works, of, works or faith questions. And as we looked at this before in the months prior, uh, the book of Galatians is different. It's different. And as Paul shares about this, it's different. It's different than his other letters. He jumps right into it. There's a sense of urgency maybe that the other letters don't have. There's a sense of gravity to it that this is a bigger deal than you can even imagine. And the Galatians were just going about their day. They were just living their lives. They were just trying to figure the stuff out. And then they get this scorching letter uh, going right to the heart. And there, there's a sense of like even that it's not all that polite, the letter. And we come to one of those sections uh, where he started out and he said, uh, he talked about how astonished he was in chapter one that they were trying to find another gospel and there's no other gospel. And he said, it was interesting. Um, He he said that even if um, angels, angels came and shared another gospel, uh, you know, that you, you should reject them. I would say this. I want to say something kind of contemporary, if, you, if I could. I, I thought about this this week. But even if aliens came, even if aliens came, and I say that for a reason. How many of you have heard a bunch of alien stuff in the last months? Okay. I, I want to tell you that um, whether it's uh, computer-generated or demonic-generated, Um, If anything comes with another message of salvation, reject it. Reject it. Uh, Paul said, if if I come to you, if our team comes to you with another message, reject it. Why? Because there's one message of the gospel, and it's, uh, it's all about God's grace to you. It's all about God's grace. And so he comes to chapter three, and he starts out, and he says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Foolish Galatians. We don't, uh, I, I was laughing, I don't know if some of you chuckled, uh, you were praying and you were chuckling at the same time because one of our elders came up here and he said, uh, many times we feel, and I could, I could hear him stutter and then he said, fools, you've elected fools. And uh, um, most of the time we don't even use the word fool, we say you're so stupid, Right? You're so stupid. And in contemporary language, that's probably what Paul would have used here. You stupid Galatians. And, uh, and some of you are going into grandma mode and you're shaking your finger. Paul, you should not use those kind of language. We should stop, talk kindly to one another. Uh, let me say it a different way. You stupid people of Bear Valley Church. That's the way they would have heard it right there. And most of you, you coil up and you go, I am not stupid. And you, you start, you, you, there are other people that are stupid, but I am not stupid. You know, I, I went to, you know what school I went to? And we're really impressed, by the way, when you say that. Uh, you, you know how many years I've worked in my occupation? You know my rank? I am the boss. I am, you know, I am super smart and everybody knows it. And Paul would say to you, you stupid Galatians. I want you to sit with that for a moment. And, and I, you know, I think about as parents, um, when little ones say that elementary school, you're so stupid, what do you say? We don't, we don't talk like that. 
We don't talk like that. And uh, Paul's, I don't want to harp on Paul's language here so much as that he had to make a point. He was highlighting something that was so important. He says, you foolish Galatians. And which, which should lead you to think, so what's the big deal? What's the issue? What makes them uh, so foolish? And that's what we're going to be talking about today is what is. And, and it comes from this idea of the idea of works of the law. And, and what are those again? Those are like circumcision, Ten Commandments, dietary laws. That's what they were thinking of. For us, it's much different things. It's Gentile type things, right? I'm a good person. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't cheat. I'm not a liar. I, I, I don't have filthy speech. I work hard. I go to church. I've been baptized. I take communion, you know. This idea that, that I've, I've checked off things on the list. I, I somehow in my own mind, measure up. And if I measure up in my own mind, I bet you I measure up in God's mind. The things that I've done have got me. So there's works. There's works of the law. And then he puts on the other side faith, believing or trusting in what Jesus has done. And so he says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And and the idea of bewitched is, after having such a great, forceful, uh, one, one writer said it this way, Paul uh, speaks in greater forcefulness than tact, <laughs> right? And I think that that's an appropriate way to say that. After saying that, he says this, who put a spell on you? Who put a spell on you? He, he, what he's saying is, through logic and just following along in the implications of the gospel you wouldn't have got there the obvious way to go in faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not grace I come to uh, I come to God on the basis of grace grace in his plan of salvation which is his son Jesus I come because of that the day after remember we've been talking about the day after what do you do the day after you come to faith in Jesus You abandon the message of grace and you say, I'm going to try hard. I'm going to try hard now. No. And he says, if if you think that way, I'm wondering who put the spell on you? Who put the spell on you? Who, Who did some kind of trickery in you that deceived you or somehow controlled you? And he says this, uh, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, the Galatian church wasn't, you know, contemporary. They they weren't at the cross, the actual crucifixion. But what Paul is saying is this, is that they heard about the crucifixion account. And not just about, uh, and this is a distinction in the language that I, I want you to get, and I hope you understand where I'm going with this. It's in the perfect tense, which, which causes us to not just think the crucifixion was a historical event, right? 
uh, we know all about historical events, right? We know about historical events that happened in the history books that we weren't there for, but we heard about. But we also know about historical events that happened in our family, or, you know, just someone, one of our siblings or our mom and dad went and saw something and they come and relay it back as this happened. It's not that. It's not a historical event. What he's talking about when he says the crucifixion, he's talking about an eternal truth. An eternal truth. That when he talks about the crucifixion, he's talking about this was the day, this was the event that changed everything for eternity. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And what was it that was so important about the crucifixion is that Christ gave himself up as the atoning sacrifice for sinners. That, that word atonement or it goes back to the Old Testament of sacrificial system, but what I want you to get is this. He fixed your sin problem that day with himself. That was the crucifixion. Is that your sins, the best you could do, the mess you could make, right? The best you could do and the mess that you make. The crucifixion was everything. It was everything. And so Paul asks the question, who's bewitched you? It, it, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was public. Pre- publicly portrayed as crucified you got it you understood that he what he did was that eternal truth that would forever be good enough for you and for me for the Galatians but also for the Philippians the people in Jerusalem Antioch various other places that it would be good enough for anyone the crucifixion of Jesus Christ And so as he's asking these works and faith questions, he says, who cast a spell upon you? Verse 2. He says, let, let me ask you only this. I, I got further questions. I, I want to talk to you about salvation riches. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And what he's doing is there's two ways. You're either thinking two ways. Which way did you get it? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, I want to ask you a question. Don't answer, but answer in your head, okay? When does someone receive the Spirit of God? I want you to think about that. Some of you have been taught that there's some future blessing after um, salvation. And certainly there are blessings that God continues to pour out his blessings upon you. But when do you receive the Spirit of God? I want to tell you that Scripture teaches at salvation. At salvation. I want to just give you one verse. There's many. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 16. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This idea is this, that when one comes to faith, the Spirit of God is working in them to bring them to faith. 
comes, comes into them as they come to faith and then continues to bear witness of their salvation throughout their life, throughout your life. And as you think about this, it's interesting how Paul does this. He hasn't talked about the spirit of God's work. He just says, I just got a question for you. And it, for those of you who have trusted in Christ, um, maybe you, it wasn't so grand, or maybe it was grand, um, but when you came to faith, there was a moment in time where the Spirit of God was working in you. There was this, you know, this illumination. It was this uh, quickening of your mind and drawing you to himself. And it's not that, for, for many of us, we'd heard the gospel message over and over again. But then there was the day. There was the moment in time. And we received the Holy Spirit uh, because God, of God's work and his son Jesus uh, that would work in us to bring us to faith in him. And we received the spirit. I, I want you to think about this because I think this is the point and it, it, sounds, um, it sounds crazy when I say it. So um, for those of you who say, uh, you came to faith in Jesus because you were smart enough and you finally figured out the gospel and you were searching for him and you finally found him and, and you, you decided based on your superior intellect um, that you decided for Jesus, you decided for Jesus. If you think that's what, what happened, um, what happened after that? How did you receive the spirit? Was it, was it the same way? Um, what he's asking here is this, and it is a very important point. Uh, verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? What, was there a reward system put in place that if you gain so many law points, law points, if you did so many things, you would receive God's spirit. You would, you would achieve God's spirit as a reward. No way. No way. Um, and so he's getting to a point here. He's saying uh, the crucifixion, the atonement, you know. Did you not understand that that was the eternal enough for you? And then he goes to the spirit of God and he says, how did you receive the spirit of God? Was it a reward for your hard work and obedience? Doesn't make sense. Verse three, are you so foolish, stupid? Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know, the frustration and the... Uh, I would say godly frustration, inspired frustration of Paul comes out in verse three as he repeats, are you so foolish? Do you not get it? Having begun in the spirit, now he goes back to it and he realizes and he's calling on them to remember that day and you remember what was so special about that day. Well, how come you came to faith? Well, how did you get there? The spirit of God worked in you. And so you began your, your faith journey prompted and, and inspired, strengthened by the Spirit of God, how do you live the day after? How do you live the day after? 
He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? How, how you've begun, you've begun in faith, you've begun in faith by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God. And so how do you live every day after? Well, the way you do it is you, you try hard and you do it on your own strength apart from Jesus, apart from the Spirit of God. No, no. I, I think it has a lot to do with how uh, sinful you were or how sinful you think you were, right? If you came to Christ as a beggar, if you came to Christ as a beggar holding nothing but a mess, right? Uh, I, I think of kids as they mess stuff up and they finally get to the place where they come to their mom and dad and they go, look what I did. I've heard this story before, but when I was uh, at my grandparents' house and bad stuff happens at grandparents' house. There's too much going on and they don't watch out after the kids, especially, you know, boys. I went out to the garage and I found this knife that this old rusty knife that was my grandfather's. And I'd seen my grandfather whittling, and so I thought that would be a fun thing to do, and I, I took some particle board. Nobody told me that particle board wasn't the best for whittling. Um, and it was round, it was round, and I, I sliced my finger, I sliced my finger. And as boys would do, I, you know, went like that, and you know, and, and I thought, oh no, maybe I can, and, and it was gushing. It was gushing. And it was the classic, like you hold it and the, the blood's coming through your fingers. Sorry for those of you who are a little queasy. But, and I remember going into the house and like not going fast, not because I was queasy, because I just didn't want to face the music. You know, my dad and my grandmother were there and I, I just went like this. <laughs> and this is what I did. It wasn't beautiful, it wasn't, there was nothing that, you know, it was a mess that I had made. And if that's the way we start as the mess that we made, uh, we don't get any better or more adequate to follow Christ after. We need him just the same. And the spirit of God that empowered us to come to faith is now the spirit of God that empowers us to live for him. I, salvation riches, salvation riches, and, and now, how do you pro progress? How do you continue on? How do you live those next days? It's not on your own strength. You're not perfected by the flesh. When he says flesh, he's talking about us apart from Jesus, us in and of ourselves, us in our own strength, apart from the Spirit of God working in us. Verse four, uh, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? So many things, and, and you think about this, and maybe, maybe you can look back to your salvation story, and this was true, the Galatian church, church is, you know, that, that group that came to faith, and they hadn't heard the gospel, they were Gentile believers, and, and what happened, or they were Gentile just people that lived in, in Galatia, and what do you think their life, what happened to their life after they came to faith in Jesus? Some of you had to do this, right? Came to faith in Jesus and you go, well, 
ah, I heard this message. I, I trusted in Christ. I got to go tell my wife. Oh, that's not going to go over very well. I got to go tell my parents. Oh, they've been part of this pagan community for so long doing these pagan things. And I got to tell them that I've been changed by Jesus. And, and there, there was this upsetting of the apple cart that comes with salvation. And, and in many ways, it's a great thing. You know, there's an abandonment and a freeing from stuff. But other ways, not everyone's going to rejoice, right? And so there's an upsetting of the apple cart that comes and a, a really a tipping over of our lives in such a way that it changes everything. And, and Paul says this, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Because if you could do it apart from Jesus, if you could live your life apart from Jesus, why did you change all those things? Why, why did you trust in a new message? He says, for nothing, or was it truly in vain? Did you change everything for nothing? Which brings us to verse 5, works of faith, works or faith, example in Abraham. Verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Once again, he says that, works of, works of the law or by hearing with faith. This is the transitional from, you know, him scolding them or questioning them and being hot with them to say, I want to give you the logic of it. I want to give you the, the gospel logic of what we do now the day after. He says, uh, so the Spirit works. He supplies what you need. The Spirit works to bring you to salvation and works miracles among you. If you look at the book of Acts, you'll see that Part of the coming of the gospel to the, the first generation church and part of the validity of it and God showing his presence apart from the word of God was miracles. And he says, you know, I, I want to say this too. He could be referring to just the fact of salvation itself because that, and you know about that, right? Some of you, um, if if we would have known you then and we know you now, we would say, whoa, what happened? And you'd say, God did a work and it was only by him. And we'd go, wow, it's a miracle, you know, of who you were and who you are now. I don't think that that necessarily is what he's talking about. I could be wrong, but he, the spirit of God to you, okay, works of miracles among you by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The same question, right? He says, oh, does God give you his spirit? Does he do his work among you, whether miracles or the salvation? Does he do that on the basis of works of the law or by hearing with faith? I think it's interesting that he says hearing with faith and there's a struggle to translate, translate that, but know this. That faith is not apart, uh, apart from hearing the gospel message. That the gospel message is this. It's Jesus, the Christ. He came. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. And if trusting in him or believing in him, 
If you do that, if you are a person who trusts in him, you're saved. You're saved. And so as you look at this, you go, oh, uh, hearing with faith. And so there's this hearing of the message and then receiving Jesus as the Christ. You put your faith and trust in him. And I would say this, hold those words close, believe, faith, trust. Uh, I think it's important that we, we really see that it's not just believe in the sense of like, ah, I think that's kind of true. But it's that we would understand the message and that we would place our faith and trust in him. In verse 6, uh, he brings the example of faith, and it's the same example that he used in the book of Romans. He says, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know that uh, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and he connects them. Uh, this is, he's referring back to Genesis 15, 6, that whole section, really. And Romans 4, he, Paul wrote this to the Roman church as well, who would struggle with this. Know this, so, so what he's doing is he's pointing back to an Old Testament picture of justification by faith. How do you get right with God? It's in the Old Testament. Someone said, how could it be in the Old Testament? Jesus wasn't there. It was trusting in God. It was trusting the one who was above him and, and the one who had created and the one who would bring the Messiah I want to, I already kind of let this out, but it says that Abraham believed God, believed God. And, and what did he do? Well, the, the reference there is that he believed God or he trusted God and God was leading him out of his, his home to another land that he had for him. And Abraham left without knowing where he was going. He left without knowing where he's going. Uh, you guys know about this, right? If I said, uh, "Come to Bear Valley Church. We're gonna we're gonna do something at one o'clock on Wednesday. Be here in the sanctuary." You'd say, "You'd say what? What are we gonna do? Why? Why are you called this meeting? Just come." And some of you would do it just because you're being nosy. And you, 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 you don't want to have bad FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Um, you, you, you just come, but others of you go, I'm not going there. That guy's a weirdo, you know? Who knows what he's going to do? Maybe he's going to handle snakes or something like that, right? I can't trust that guy. We know about, you say, hey, let's go. And you say, where are we going? Hey, I, I, I need $100 for what? There's always these questions. But Abraham understood that as God called to him and said, let's go, he said, he's God. I trust, I believe in him. We see this, this also in Abraham's life when he went to sacrifice his son. And he, he didn't know how it all was going to work out, but he trusted that somehow God was going to do what he was going to do. And his son asked him, you know, I, I see the wood and the fire, and, but where's the sacrifice? And so he said, God would provide. And Abraham knew that he was called to sacrifice his son. His son didn't necessarily know that. 
But God did provide, and what a picture of the provision of Jesus Christ that he was going to provide. But, but Abraham is the picture, the example of faith. And I, I just asked this, uh, the, the language here, this idea that it was counted to him, in other translations it says reckoned to him, uh, it, it's not, he, he would have... He could have said this different ways. God would have wrote this in the hand of Moses and now of Paul. He would have said he believed God and uh, it achieved for him righteousness. Or it could have said something to the, the, the effect of, and by that, Abraham earned righteousness. But the idea of reckoned is the idea that the judge brings about a verdict. He decides he decides, and it's based not upon the one who's being judged, but on the judge himself and his word. And it says that he, it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. And that verdict will stand. Why? Not because of the one it was brought upon, but because of the judge. Because of the one making the verdict. Verse 8. You see uh, Galatians' faith foretold. Verses 8 and 9. I love this because he connects. And, and what is the, I, I want to give you the issue again, right? I, I, I know we, we struggle with this. The Galatians, Paul and others came to, uh, to them in faith or bringing the gospel. They responded in faith. They left. They're in Antioch, Jerusalem, back and forth. And that's where the power of people may be, Antioch and Jerusalem at this time. And some had come and tried to say, hey, okay, great, Galatians, you came to faith in Jesus. Now you must be circumcised. Now you must watch what you eat. Now you must follow these commandments. Now you must bring what you can do and really complete your salvation. You must be Jewish. You must be Jewish when they were Gentiles. And this is what he says in verse 8. This is so great a uh, uh, conclusion. He says this. And the scripture, listen to what it says. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles? Wait, what? <laughs> Why on earth would God care about the Gentiles? They're not his chosen people. When were the Gentiles part of the team? When were the Gentiles a target for the gospel message? Genesis. Genesis. That's wild, isn't it? And now he brings it together. Galatians, uh, also in Romans, he's very clear about this. He says, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by what? Not by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. By faith in Christ. This is what he said, justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. In you all the nations will be blessed. And as you see this, you see from Abraham, he gets a special people, a chosen people. And out of that chosen people, there's a special Messiah. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. He went to the cross so that both Jew and Gentile, trusting and putting their faith in him, could be saved. 
In you shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 9, so then those who are of, faith, are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And I would say it this way, Galatians faith foretold, the nations would be blessed and who he's talking to is the Galatian churches and the Bear Valley churches. That's who he's talking to. He says, this is how you're blessed, by faith in, in Jesus. A similar faith to Abraham, now a more full faith in Jesus, the spirit of God working in us for all that he calls us to. Let me tie it up with these four points. I know I usually have three, but I had to put one more today. Sorry. Um, and and what, what you want to think in simple terms is this, that you need to put your faith or your trust or your belief in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's it. That's it. If you're a sinner here today, if you're a sinner today and you never have, you, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus, not in yourself, not in your good works, not that you can be good enough for God, not that you can try hard enough and somehow make it okay. Um, I want to tell you, you've made a mess of things. You're in good company, right? We're all here, right? I'm with you. Made a mess of things. Jesus is your answer, so put your faith and trust in him. Secondly, I want to say this. Put your faith and trust in Jesus for the issues of today. For the issues of today. Any problems in your family? Any struggles in your marriage? Any kids that are making you crazy? Any extended family making you crazy? Any anxious thoughts? Some of you are so, some of you are so worried about the shutdown of the government because your pay is somehow tied to that. And I, I want to tell you, they could blow up the world. Like those people, those crazy people who meet in Washington, D.C., they could ruin everything down here. I, I just want to say this. Put your faith and trust in Jesus with the issues of today, whatever they are, wherever they are. Some of the health issues, things are going on, whatever they are. I forgot to mention this earlier. If you could pray for Ed Swanson. He's down in L.A. Uh, getting treatment. He found out he has leukemia this week. Pray for him. It's serious, serious. I, I texted with his daughter, um, and they're down there, and just pray for them. Pray for God's strength and mercy and um, that they would trust in Jesus for the issues of today. Third thing, uh, put your faith and trust in Jesus for your tomorrows. Tomorrow. Some of you don't have enough problems of today, so you try to work ahead. And you start worrying about things that aren't even here yet, maybe don't even exist. You're good with fantasy land. But I want to tell you that um, it doesn't take that much imagination to look at tough times ahead, does it? And I want to encourage you as you think about the tough times ahead and the things that seem unmanageable in the future, cause you fear. I want you to put your faith and trust in Jesus because just as the Galatians understood that they came to faith in Jesus and it was enough for them and they had nothing 
It's also good enough for your todays and your tomorrows. Lastly, number four, I had to get this in here. Put your faith and trust in Jesus for your death and eternity. I wanted to just say eternity. I just wanted to say eternity. But I thought to myself, theologically, if we're there in eternity with Jesus, it's no longer faith. It's sight, right? And as I, as I think about, you know, death can be connected in tomorrows, but there is that last and final step. And, and I want to tell you that um, Scripture talks about, uh, you know, some trust in horses and chariots. Some trust in uh, medicine and doctors. But there will come a time in most, unless the Lord returns, there will come a time where you're going to be laying there. You're going to be laying there. Some of it will happen abruptly, but most of us will be laying there, right? And we'll, we'll know that it's close. I want to tell you, that's, Jesus is good enough for that too. The Spirit of God working in you in that day as well. Joyously heading home. He's enough for you then too. God, thank you for being enough for us. Thank you for um, sharing us, with us the message of the gospel. That's a good news for the day of salvation, but it's also good news for every day after that. God, help us to rejoice in that as we share in a time of communion. We thank you in Jesus' name.